Not a trick question. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands just a second. Raise your hand if you've ever been reading the Bible and like you like went to talk to somebody, texted them, called them because you were like, I have got to tell them what God just showed me in the Bible. Raise your hand. Has that ever happened to you? Okay. That's called prophecy. Right? Like when, when the Lord starts speaking to his, his body and when he starts like making the word come alive to you, that's, that's a lot of what prophecy is all about. Um, I was going to say, I'm so thankful that we live in a, we, we are a part of a, like a prophetic church, but I want to make sure you understand what that means, right? Because um, a lot of us have different church backgrounds, and so if I said prophetic, like in my mind, I'm back in like a little cinder block. I mean, y'all think that we're a Pentecostal church? We are, but I've been in some, I've been in some churches, I mean, like, cinder block church, and, like, it was Pentecostal, like, Pentecostal. It was, like, a lot. And so when I think of prophecy, I think of, like, like that one woman with a really tight bun who was, like, thus says the Lord, you know, and it always ended with me getting grounded somehow. I don't know. My my, my dad was, like, that was for you, and you're grounded. You know, like, so I don't know. It's, like, prophecy was, like, God revealed my worst things in front of everybody, Prophecy is God speaking, y'all. I'm not trying to dumb it down, but when you read the Bible and go, this happens in our house all the time, like, oh, did you see that? Like, that's, he's speaking, right? And we have people in our church that, man, God is awakening that gift in you, and I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful for a church that doesn't wait for the pastor to have a word, because the Holy Spirit is giving the people in the church his word. Um, I say all of that because at some point today I think I'm going to talk about, outside of the sermon, um, why God keeps highlighting the term wake up to our church. And then maybe the fire thing. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get to it maybe at the end. But for right now, let's just do Romans 5. Um, it's been a while, y'all, since we've been in Romans we're going to spend three weeks in Romans, and we're going to do Christmas, and then eventually we will be back in, we will be back in Romans. Are y'all okay with that? It's like we have these, like, rest areas where we pull over and go, okay, Christmas. Eh, it was fun. Open presents. Okay, back on the road. Let's go with Romans some more, and then we'll take another, you know, it's just the way it's going to work. Um, so let me give you a quick recap of where we've been. Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3. Let's just call those the very bad news. Are y'all okay with that? Um, I have worn this awesome shirt that was given to me for pastor appreciation. Can you read it? It's the gospel, stupid. Um, On the back it says it's all about Jesus. I know that the front can be a little harsh, but um, this was from the very first message we started in Romans. And I I talked about um, way back in one of the earlier presidential elections, and the campaign manager came up with the slogan, it's the economy, stupid. Right? Just to continue to remind people, like, this is the most important issue. This is the most important issue. You're fighting about a bunch of stuff, but it's about the economy. And I told you, we can get caught up in a lot of things in Romans, but it's the gospel, stupid. Right? It's always about the gospel. What is the gospel? It's good news. Right? And, like, let's not overthink this. Good news is not good news without bad news. And so we had to kind of work our way through the first three chapters. Um, I remember every time I would talk, I'd be like, I thought it couldn't get worse, but here we go, right? And so verses, chapters 1 through 3 is like the very bad news. Chapter 4, we talked about the way out. 
So if it's all really bad news, what's the way out? And, and Paul says the way out, he pointed to Abraham, remember? Faith. Faith that believes in the promise of God. And in chapter 5, we're going to see what that faith brings us. Um, Seth, the last time we were in this, Seth preached on the first part of chapter 5. I'm just going to remind you what it, what it says. It starts with therefore, and he just starts to list all the things that we have been given as a result of putting our faith in the promise of God. And the promise of God, not a trick question. You can do this, y'all, because you've heard it, you've read it in the Bible. It's one name. It starts with J, ends with Jesus, and the promise of God would be even after all that. After all that, you were scared to say his name. Come on, y'all. The promise of God would be Jesus, right? So, like, it's the gospel, stupid. It's all about Jesus. And so when we've received Jesus, I love in verse, in chapter 5, it's like suddenly Paul just goes, finally, we can start talking about what we've received because of Jesus. If you're a note taker, jot down quickly. Here we go. I'm just, I'm just, and I'm just getting us to the point where I can start talking about verse 12. Things that we now have because of faith in Jesus. Verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1, we have peace. <sighs> chapter 5, verse 2, we have access. Anybody ever gone to a concert and you were like, I wish I had a backstage pass, right? We have access to the very presence of the Father because of Jesus. Verse 2 um, I'm just saying, maybe remind the person next to you, they have joy. It's not always the same as happiness. You can be here without smiling and still have joy. He says that we have joy in the waiting and we have joy in suffering. <laughs> that you might want to nudge somebody with. In the suffering, you can still have joy. Um, verses 3 and 4, we have perspective. Verse 5, we have hope. Verse 5, we have love. Verse 5, we have the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 is a good verse. And then, how many of you were here last week, you heard Dan's testimony? Or maybe you've seen it. We, we put that out on social media. Um, Cut Right does a great job with that. Verse 11 says that a gift of God to us because of our faith in Jesus is reconciliation. Right? Forgiveness. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's eight things in the first 11 verses of chapter 5 that we have now, y'all. We have. Say we have. We're not going to be given. We have it. We have peace, access, joy, perspective, hope, love, Holy Spirit, and reconciliation. We have that. Why do we have that? Because like I said last week, I just teased this a little bit. What we're going to see in the last half of Romans 5 is it's all about the DNA. If we have the DNA, then that's who we are. Whether we live like it or not. Paul is going to start in verses 12 through 21. He's going to. How many of y'all in, in English class had to write comparison and, as they call compare and cr contrast, comparison and contrast? Is that what they're called? You had to write those? So you had to, like, study two things, and you had to find ways that they were similar, and you had to find ways that they weren't similar, and you had to write a paper about that. 
compare and contrast candy and green vegetables. Candy is awesome. Green vegetables are of the devil. I don't know. <laughs> Wendy said, no. I said, yes. Paul's going to compare and contrast Adam and Jesus in verses 12 through 21. Uh, this, listen, every, compare, every um, analogy falls apart at some point, but I did hear a pastor say, um, how many of you raised Star, you like Star Wars? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. Star Trek, anybody? Praying for you. So the, the, this pastor, he said this, that you can, if you're a Star Wars fan, you can kind of think of Romans 5, verses 12 through 21, kind of like in, in the whole Star Wars like universe, you had, a, you had two, two Skywalkers. You had the first Skywalker, be Anakin, and he made the wrong choice. And then you had Luke. You had Luke Skywalker, and he had the opportunity to make a right choice. Now, I don't want to compare, like, the gospel to Star Wars too much, but you get what I'm saying. And so in verses 12 through 21, he's going to spend some time talking about the first Adam, which was Adam, <laughs> and the second Adam, which was, remember, J ends with Jesus, Jesus. So, like, the first Adam you're going to see in verses 12, 13, and 14 totally messed everything up. And, and when we're comparing and contrasting, there's a lot of ways that Paul's going to say that they're similar, like death came through one, life comes through the other, so something's coming through them that's similar, but the contrast is what we want to focus on. Is that Adam, Adam brought death to everybody who was born. That means the person you're sitting next to, when they were born, and then I got, I've, I've never actually gotten hate mail, but I got something I don't know what it was, a card, a scribbled note, when I said that maybe more accurately on our cards when we're, like, congratulating people on their new babies, what if we said stuff like, congratulations on your beautiful bundle of sin, right? Like, nobody likes that. I know it's terrible. We don't think of it that way, right? But, but from what we're going to read, when we were born, we were born sinners. This is why um, parents who have two-year-olds, do you walk around behind them going, yes, 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 yes? No. You say, no, no, no. You're not teaching them how to do wrong. They already have it. We're born in sin because of the first Adam. Adam brought death to all who were born, and Jesus brings life not to all who were born, but to all who were born again. This is why Jesus uses that language. We've got to be born again. You're not going to heaven because you're in church today. Although, I'm super glad you're here. We're going to go to heaven because we've been born again. We've put our faith in Jesus. We've accepted what he did on the cross on our behalf. And now we're born again. And why is that so important? Because it's all about the DNA. So when I'm born in sin, I have sin DNA. And when I'm born again, guess what? I don't. I didn't expect a lot of applause there. I actually expected the silence that we got. Because a lot of you are like, 
then why do I keep sinning? That's Romans 6, 7, and 8. You see where Paul's heading with all this? He's like, this is the truth, and now we got to figure out how to live it. But it starts with, what kind of DNA do I have? Jesus brings life to all who are born again. So let's just start reading. Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 12. Paul says, therefore, remember the first three verses are going to be about Adam. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people. Raise your hand if you're that all people, people. Because all sinned. Just to recap, not like I'm trying to get all like Greeky on you, but the Greek in the Greek that's used in this is a past aorist tense. And what that means is like it's like the entire human race was in the garden when Adam sinned. Okay? So a lot of times in our prideful American whatever, we think if I'd have been there, I'd have made the right choice. If you're sitting next to somebody, tell them they are a liar, right? No, we wouldn't have. If we were there, we would have made the same choice, right? So death came to all men because all sinned. And in verse 13, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Everybody say, huh? Here's what that means. The reason we have posted speed limit signs. You ever been pulled over by a cop? And he wrote you a ticket because you were speeding? The reason he can write you a ticket for speeding is because you sped past a posted speed limit sign. Now, you tried to tell him or her that you didn't see it. What? There was a speed limit? I think my odometer's busted. You came up with all kinds of reasons, but they were like, uh, no, it was right there in plain view, and I'm going to write you a ticket. Could he or she write you a ticket if there were no speed limit signs posted? No, because there's no law to break. But the reason we have speed limits it's because people were driving recklessly before there was ever a law. That's what Paul's getting at. Yet there might not have been a law before Moses received it, but people were still sinning before there was a law. The law just revealed what they were already doing. Does that make sense? Bundle of sin. You seeing it now? Like we don't make good choices, y'all. Apart from Jesus, we're not going to make good choices. Verse 15, he says, but, and we say it all the time, the Bible's full of big buts, and this is a great one because this is going to change it from like, okay, that was Adam, but now let's talk about Jesus. But the gift is not like the trespass. Somebody say amen. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. I know there's a lot of big words in there, but do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, like, Adam sinned once and ruined it for everybody. But Jesus came 
And everybody was messing things up all the time. And he offered one gift that changed it all. I don't know how often you would continue to give a gift to somebody who would not, not only did they not thank you, but they would like basically take the gift and just stomp on it and then want more. But that's basically what mankind did from the time of Adam until Jesus went to the cross. Now, there was a group called the Jews, and Paul's writing to some of them. And when he mentions the law, they, they perk up and go, oh, yeah, we know about the law. That's that thing that if we keep it, we'll be good with God. And he's like, right, if you could keep it. But go back to Romans chapter 3. But all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? I mean, we've all tried. We've all tr- we're all trying to reach God, but we're all falling short. We talked about that race on the coast of California from California to Hawaii. Right? Remember that? We said if, if the entire human race got on the coast of California and somebody blew a whistle and said, on the count of three, we're going to race to Hawaii. First person to swim to Hawaii wins. Who's getting to Hawaii? Nobody. But there will be strong swimmers who will swim a lot farther than the weakest swimmers, but nobody's making it to Hawaii. We're not, none of us are getting to God on our own effort. We needed a Savior, and we have one. And that's what Paul's getting at. Verse 17, for if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Just want to point out some quick, some language nuance. You'll notice that he keeps saying that death reigned for all people through Adam, right? But then he'll say, How much more for those who receive God's provision? So we didn't have a choice about Adam. We have a choice about Jesus. You you, you with me? Verse 18, consequently, just as the one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one The many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Those who respond to that, who receive it, will be made, how? Righteous. This seems like a good time to have a quiz. Because you're all looking at me like, what? If you were here last week, you already know the answer, so sit up a little bit. Because I gave you a little teaser if you weren't here, this is fun. All you have to do, can we get this queued up in the back, Russ? We're going to get those two, those two pictures ready. Um, all I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to show you two pictures, is just raise your hand when you see the butterfly. You, re- you got it? You're going to raise your hand, not your foot, not your elbow, your hand. Let's show them that first picture, Russ. Raise your hand when you see the butterfly. Okay. So a lot of hands up. So if you weren't here last week, you're like, what's the deal? Right? Okay. And let's show there's the next one, butterfly. Raise your hand if you see the butterfly. Let's try it again. First picture. Second picture. Third picture. I'm kidding. There's not a third option, but some of you weren't even raising your hand on any of them. It's like you're waiting for that third option. Here's what I told the people last week. The people. I told the people last week. Scientists have extracted DNA from caterpillars and found out that caterpillars don't have caterpillar DNA. They have butterfly DNA. Caterpillars are already butterflies. 
They don't become butterflies, turn into butterflies, go to butterfly church enough that they start looking like butterflies. They are butterflies, but they're caterpillars. But they have butterfly DNA. When Paul says, so also through the obedience of the one man, and that one man's name is Jesus, the many will be made righteous. The righteousness of God is what we already have if we've put our faith in Jesus. You and I are already butterflies. Some of you act like it way more than other people, but we are. Verse 19. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. Also, the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. Post more speed limit signs. Why? You're just trying to drag us down. No. The, the, the trespass is increasing, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. In my Bible, I have written in the margins, you can never out-sin the grace of God. Some of you need to know that. Because some of you are here today, I'm so glad you're here, and you're like, if you only knew what I did last week, right? Some of you online aren't here because you bought the lie that you can only come to church after a good week. You can't out God. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that Paul's closing it out in verse 21, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is so critically important. This butterfly caterpillar thing, it's all about the DNA. Because as we go from this chapter into the next few chapters, we're going to get to Romans chapter 7. Some of you have read this. It's become like your life verse. Because you're like, Paul says, what I want to do, I can't do. And what I, don't, what I do want to do, I, I can't do. What I don't want to do, I keep doing. And some of you are like, that's why the gym never works for me. I know I should go. I can't ever get there. And when I do go, I don't want to stay there. Like, and I, I know the right thing, but I can't do it. And I know the wrong thing, but I keep doing it. And blah. And theologians who are the smart, smart men and women who get together and discuss, sometimes fight over and debate, but they discuss Scripture, and they're like, what do we think Paul means? Was Paul a Christian in Romans 7 when he wrote that? Spoiler alert, come back. I'll tell you in a few weeks. Yes. Yes. He was already a butterfly. It's all about the DNA. But he was becoming, learning to live the way butterflies live. We, we have this thing like God loves me when I'm good and he doesn't love me when I'm bad. No, he actually is crazy about you all the time. And if you don't really believe that, we should pray for your children. Because they're going to start thinking you only love them when they're good. You have the righteousness of God. What Jesus accomplished on the cross made you righteous. Tell the person next to you, if you love Jesus, you are righteous. 
as Paul wraps up chapter 5, he's making sure we knew that we needed a Savior. And he's making sure we know that we have one. Right? So we're born into sin through Adam, but we're born again into life through Jesus. And that born again is so critical. John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus replied to Nicodemus, Very truly I tell you, no one, how many is that? No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. That term born again has been hijacked by people in the church and outside the church. So that when I say born again, you picture a certain thing. But what, what Jesus is saying here is that you were born into sin when your mother gave birth to you. doesn't mean your mom was bad. It doesn't mean your dad was bad. It just means as a member of the human race, because when Adam sinned, death reigned. And when you were born, you were born into sin physically. And so the way to get out of that situation is not self-help books. Although they're great, and if I ever write one, if I ever write one, please buy it. It'll have one chapter, self-help book, chapter one, Jesus. Right? Like, we don't get out of sin by trying to fix the sinful part of us by being a better sinner, a nicer sinner. We fix it by being born again. God, this DNA that I got from Adam is horrible and corrupt. I need new DNA. And he says the way you get that is you get born again. You get born again into a new DNA. It's righteous DNA. Ooh, that's a T-shirt. I got righteous DNA. It's the righteousness of God given to you. I don't know what your particular stumbling block sins are. But I'll just use a couple of things. I used to um, cuss like a sailor. I've never even been around sailors. I've just heard that they cuss a lot. I don't know. But I used to cuss all the time. All the time. And if, if, if you were to be around me right now and I had a relapse moment, it's just, I don't think, I don't know, this is not happening forever, but if it were to happen, could you, could you just imagine, like, if you popped into Glory Beans one day this week and I had placed an order for a snowfall, which is the best drink they have, and they had given me, I don't know, something else, and instead of me saying, this just isn't really, this just isn't really it, like, what if you walked in and I was throwing stuff, stomping down like that? Whoa, hey, relax. And if I was, like, dropping F-bombs, I mean, I, how many of you would be like, it's good, whoa, <laughs> just walk right back out the door, right? You'd be like, I'm going to nine brews, yeah, seven brews. I keep calling it nine brews. Why, why do I do that? Seven brews, I'm going to go there, I'm going to start anywhere but here. But do you know what? If I were to have a meltdown, I'm st I still have the righteousness of Jesus. If I were to have a meltdown and then have a heart attack and die at that moment, and I stand before God, some of y'all, this is going to mess with your theology a little bit. 
So I'm like, you wouldn't stand before God. You would go straight to the boogeyman. No, I would not. Because Jesus paid for that bad day. And my faith is in him. You and I were not made to live with the pressure of doing the right thing. We were made to live with the righteousness of Jesus. And when you embrace that as your DNA, you'll be amazed how much you start to look like a butterfly. I don't think butterflies, I'm just trying to flap my wings. They just do. It's what butterflies do. It's when, when Christians say to me, I will never forgive that person. My only response is, forgiveness is hard, but if you will never, you might not have Christian DNA. Because forgiveness is in Christian DNA. It's not easy, but it's what Christians do. When Paul wrestles with his humanity and his flesh in the coming chapters, when he screams out, who will save me from this? I mean, I don't know how y'all are, but when he says, thanks be to God, I'm like, brother, I'm with you, right? Thank you, Jesus, that you are saving me from that old corrupted DNA and that I am now made new. Not someday, not when I get to heaven, when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Man, learn to rejoice here. Like we're already like Jesus here. It's in our DNA, which is such good news, especially to those of us that are here on a Sunday after maybe not such a great week. Which is why it's such good news that Jesus silences the accuser, right? The accuser of the brethren who's always like, you're so bad, you're so bad, you're so bad, you're so bad. And we should find just be like, we know it. But he's so good, right? Stop telling me things I know. Let me tell you something you don't know. He beat you. He made me righteous. I'm righteous in Christ. And he's right now at the right hand of God interceding for me because of you. That's it, y'all. Not, oh, God, you're so right. I'm the worst Christian ever. I just want to set you free. And I'm not trying to um, minimize, like, the actual struggle of what, as a Christian, how should a Christian live? What should I do as a Christian? But, man, the one question I get asked a lot, and I just feel the angst of it, is when believers look at me and go, in this situation, how should a Christian act? And I'm like, just act. You are a Christian. Be that. Be who you are. When he's, you know, she mentioned surviving the holidays. Like, how should a Christian grieve? With a lot of tears. Maybe, I don't know, some people, I've, I've, I've seen some Christians grieve with a lot of tears and cussing. And a lot of throwing things. Like, that's not how a Christian acts. Well, if the Christian, if the person throwing things is a Christian, then apparently it is how that Christian acts. And God is still able to bring his righteousness through their life. Y'all okay? I should probably stop talking. Why is this true? 
Because 2 Corinthians 5.17, last verse that we're going to pray. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Okay. Not a trick question. Raise your hand if the only reason you know you're going to go to heaven is because you have put all of your faith in Jesus Christ. Tried to word that in such a way that everybody feel good raising their hands. A couple of pastors in the room did not. I'm a little scared about that. I'm kidding. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus and a princess of Jesus, your hand should be up. That's why I'm going to heaven, y'all. Because of what he did. I am one of the anyone's in Christ. Therefore, if anyone, Paul, is in Christ, put your name right there. If Paul is in Christ, if Wendy is in Christ, if put your name there, the new creation is coming. Is that what it says? It says the new creation has come. You are a butterfly. The old is gone. The new is here. Present now. I'm praying to just set some of you guys free. Right? Like, oh, snap. I'm a butterfly. Like, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, even on my worst day. And what you're going to find is that Paul is going to start chapter 6 with, okay, so now that we have that settled, should we just keep on sinning so that grace can increase? And he says, by no means, which is Greek for like really emphatic words I might not can say in church. No. Helk, no. I think is what that Greek means, right? <laughs> no. And he's, he's, some of you that are in here going like, man, Paul, this is, this is full of way too much grace. People are going to start doing bad stuff because, well, they're the righteousness of God. And I get it. Like, I get that police comes out in all of us. Like, we're going to make sure people don't trample the grace of God. It's not your grace. It's his. And grace will be abused. It's the very nature of grace. But when we fully understand what he's given us, we're going to be just like Paul, and we'll pick this up next week. We'll be saying, I will not increase more just to get more grace. I will not because that's caterpillar thinking, and I'm a butterfly. I got butterfly DNA flowing through my veins. I've got kingdom DNA in my veins, and I'm not going to trash the kingdom because that's my dad. And he loves me even when I trash the kingdom. But I'm not going to keep doing it because I've got his DNA. All right, we need to pray. That's the end of the message. Just I'll be cutting that off, right? That's the end of the message. Now, this is for y'all. And if you're still watching the live stream, awesome job. It's for you too. Um, this morning during worship, Pastor Bridget kept, kept hearing Revelation chapter 3, verse 2, which says, Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Which sounds like a really harsh word. 
But God is telling our body, our bodies for sure. We just keep hearing the term wake up all the time. <laughs> wake up all the time. And I was raised in Southern church. So wake up is not heard as a nice thing. Like, wake up. When I was a speaker on the road, there was one time this guy fell asleep while I was talking, but I had a wireless mic. So I like got down right in front of him while I, he was asleep. And I just got right here, leaned in really close. Wake up! And he did. <laughs> I feel so bad about that now because, like, what a shaming thing to do, right? I think my heart now is more like with Jesus when he looked at Peter and said, uh, you couldn't keep watching me? Go ahead and get your sleep because there's a day coming when you're going to need to wake up. And I just want you to know that's what I feel like the Lord's saying at our church right now. He's not saying, like, wake up because he's mad at you because you're sleeping. He's saying, y'all, it's, it's time to get up because there's something to do. He says, wake up because your deeds are unfinished. There's something to get up for. And then as we're finishing worship, I think Mike saw, make sure I got this, like just kind of embers, like the, the Lord was like flipping coals up and over and like just kind of tending that fire. And then he saw like, you know what bellows are? Like this, like a big, huge bellow that was just like blowing the Holy Spirit over those coals. Now, I just know this, that he's igniting the church because there's something he has for us to do. He's reestablishing our identity because he wants us not to take pride in what we do, right? Well, I, I better get on board with that new program. They're starting down there at that church because that will make me a good Christian. Oh, God will love me more. No. He already loves you. You don't have to jump on board with any program for him to love you. But we might need to jump on board with what he's doing right now because it's an important work. So I want to pray that over you. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, I'm just going to, Wendy, get in the, okay, okay. Wendy said it makes sense. Yes. <laughs> so let's close that way, okay? Just um, close your eyes. There's nothing magical about putting your hands out, but I'm going to ask you to do that if you want to receive from the Lord right now. Because <laughs> in my head, what I picture is a father and a son or a father and a daughter going out back to throw football. And the father throws the football, and the child can never catch it. <clears throat> Sorry, the child can never catch it. And the child's getting more and more frustrated. Like, you keep throwing the ball, and I can't catch it. Why can't I catch it? Why can't I catch it? And the father's like, uncross your arms. We, we live sometimes so closed and so tight. Kind of back to what Allison said during worship. And he's just like, put yourself in a position to receive. So I'm going to ask you to put your hands out. And God, right now, just as we wrap up chapter 5, and this morning has been so much about identity, I pray, Lord, that just in this simple act of putting our hands out, putting ourselves in a position to receive from you, God, for those in the room that are following Jesus, that love Jesus, have trusted him and are trusting him for their, for their salvation, I pray, God, that you would right now pour out on them, we read it in this passage, the righteousness of Jesus that 
literally, Paul used the word overflow. It overflows from Jesus to us. And I pray that you would overflow the righteousness that is theirs in Christ. And that that flood of righteousness would, would push out all of the wrong thinking. That somehow I have to earn something from God. Somehow I have to be a certain way so he'll love me more. Somehow I've got to do the right thing so that he'll not just love me but like me. And that the, they would see themselves standing before the throne of God. Fully loved and fully accepted. Fully forgiven. Fully like Christ. Nothing to earn. Nothing to prove. Nothing to do. And from that place, I pray, Holy Spirit, blow on the fire of their soul and ignite a flame that they cannot and would not ever want to put out. We live in a culture of works. We feel good about ourselves when we do the right thing, and that's not a bad. It's not bad to feel good. But God, I pray that you would give your children the gift of freedom from that to simply know that's my dad, and he is crazy about me. Because of what Jesus did. In the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.